0: Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 395. Today is Sunday, the 1st of November 2020. My name is Minter Dial, and I'm your host for this podcast. First, a shout-out and thanks for putting up a five-star review of the show to Real Random on iTunes and Jared Hanning on Podchaser. Please consider to drop in your own rating, and don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. As for this week's interview, it's with Rabishek Runta, who's an enduring entrepreneur, founder and CEO of IndusNet Technologies, providing digital consulting, web and app, mobile apps, analytics and cloud infrastructure services. And he's the self-described gardener at Cedar's Venture Capital. In this conversation with Abishek, we talk about his journey, his leadership style, insights into his success, the role of purpose, his significant lessons learned and many gems to become a successful leader. You'll find all the show notes on Minted Dial. Now for the show. Abhishek Runta, what a pleasure to have you on my show. You have been really blazing trails as an entrepreneur and you've taken a company from a very small start to become a really large company. I really wanted to meet with you and chat with you about your journey uh, and the success that you've had. So Abhishek, in your own words, how would you like to describe yourself?
1: Uh, hi, Mentor. Uh, thank you for having me on the show, first of all. And as far as uh, my own journey is concerned, I think I want to describe myself more as an explorer and uh, you know, who loves to explore and experience new things and is a continuous learner.
0: One of the things I loved in your LinkedIn profile is you write, you're a gardener. And and um, so it it made me think you might actually be putting your hands in the soil, but at some level, you're always growing as a gardener. And uh, is that is that something that takes up a lot of your time, the work that you're doing at Cedars Venture Capital?
1: Uh, No. So actually, uh, we we started Cedars as a venture capital company, as a seed capital company, but we really did not uh, grow it as a separate entity. Uh, we started investing uh, in individual capacities. Me and one of my close friends, we started investing in individual capacity. Uh, But I think the tag gardener uh, stayed with me. And uh, uh, when I now uh, work with uh, new companies uh, or I partner with new companies, I am one of those people who love to get his hands dirty. So I would sit down and work and build the company rather than uh, just invest and uh, watch it grow.
0: Makes consummate sense, if you're able. So let's go back to your foundation of the IndusNet Technologies company. You were a 19-year-old, as I understand, at a weird thing called a computer fair, and things, let's say, started the seeding, began then. Talk, Talk us through the beginning of your company.
1: Uh, so actually uh, uh, i was 19 and i was in a college uh, i was already connected to internet and somewhere in my mind i had this notion that internet is the medium on which i have to build my career because uh, i love the fact that it connects the whole world and you can actually communicate and uh, you know make major impact because uh, a connected economy can be very powerful somehow you know uh, without knowing too much about economics and uh, Uh, And the world of technology, I had that feeling, uh, you know, you have those gut feelings. Uh, So uh, that was decided. And I was already working uh, uh, by selling some hosting packages uh, to some corporates inside the city. I was already uh, selling internet telephony to some uh, export houses. I was already teaching people how to use internet. But all these were like more of freelance work that I was doing and to make some extra pocket money. Uh, so one fine morning, I went to uh, see an exhibition uh, in a in a exhibition hall in Kolkata, and uh, as as luck would have it, uh, somehow I had a feeling that you know if I have to really start a company, let it be today. And uh, I and on that day, I went and then spoke to the uh, the guy who was in the uh, who was guarding the exhibition hall, and I said that you know I have not come here to see the exhibition. I actually want to exhibit here, and. Uh, he was quite amazed and amused and he said that, you know, you can't do exhibit like just this because you need to come and prepare for it. You need to book a stand and you need to prepare for that and you need to come and then show. But then, you know, the hustler in me somehow, you know, woke up and I said, let me try it out and if someone is happy to share his stand. And when I went into the hall, the first stand itself, you know, as luck would have it, uh, this gentleman uh, was open to share his stand uh, because... He wanted to just make sure that uh, you know I am not uh, uh, I am not occupying his space per se, or I am not competing with him. As long as that is true, he's more than happy to give me a small share of his time, and I can uh, start hustling and you know uh, start uh, uh, my business from that place. Uh, so yeah, so that was, that came easy because I think uh, I went ahead and asked for it. A lot of times, people would uh, not dare ask for things which they feel are uh, impractical but uh, I just made that request and uh, luck was on my side. Uh, And then when I came out of that hall just to prepare for the show, uh, I found that uh, I don't have much money on my pocket. So I had, I think around 50 rupees, which is less than a pound. And uh, I I didn't have the name for the company because I was freelancing as an individual. So what I did was uh, there was a company name. uh, I have to first think of a company name very quickly because the exhibition was on. Uh, I have already committed a fee and I need to get started. So what I did was basically I picked up the name from a restaurant which was right in front of me when I stood on the road and it's co- it was called Indus Valley Restaurant. So I picked the Indus from there. I picked the net from the world of hosting and I then put technology after that. And I went to a cyber cafe nearby, uh, printed a leaflet, uh, got it Xeroxed down 50 times, brought it into the hall and kind of pasted it on the wall, uh, you know, uh, which I got... Uh, and and that was the beginning of the hustling, which has not ended till now. Uh, initially, it was more of a hobby project, even as a company, but eventually it became, uh, you know, uh, much more than that.
0: So, did you buy the restaurant afterwards? <laughs> no, uh, no uh, I
2: never. <laughs> That's little.
0: not my cup of tea. <laughs> of course not, or, or a meal of uh, of good rice. So. Um, you built up this company. Tell us what your company does because it has a lot of services. And obviously, if you can, tell us the size of your company as well.
2: Now,
1: So we have around uh, 585 people right now in the company. Uh, we are actually uh, three companies put together in one, under one umbrella. So the core business is called INT, uh, which is a short form for internet technologies. Uh, we recently rebranded ourselves to give a more international uh, and more... Uh, 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 more uh, advanced and modern look and uh, uh, our company uh, basically provides product engineering services uh, for insurance, uh, banking, uh, pharmaceutical, retail uh, organizations around the world and we build products for them which basically allows them to do digital transformation internally as well as externally for their consumers. Uh, That is one of the the core business of the uh, group uh, the second business is one which uh, I partnered and I invested uh, strategically uh, around five years back. It's called Techshu, and that's an integrated digital marketing company uh, because I've always been a marketer at heart and I always wanted to do marketing. So uh, that came very naturally to me. And then third is a company which I co-founded along with a partner of mine called Umesh Batoria, and it's called Energy Tech Ventures, which does uh, energy analytics and using energy analytics is, does uh, uh, Um, asset performance management for commercial real estate. So uh, these are the three businesses overall that uh, I'm involved in actively. And uh, besides that, I have invested in close to 25 uh, startups.
0: Brilliant. So a busy man. Abhishek, how would you ascribe your success to get to this size of company with these three different businesses? I mean, you mentioned luck three times so far. Sounds like a a good omen, you, you um, are obviously a hustler as well, but to what would you say, how have you gotten the success that you've had? What, what do you put it down to?
1: I think uh, most of it is uh, due to persistence, uh, due to continuous learning from the mistakes I was making. Honestly speaking, I always lacked exposure because the part of the country I come from, uh, I don't see much of tech entrepreneurship here. So uh, the ground level exposure that is very useful and helpful in shaping you up and building your business, it was always missing. Uh, But however, I think that I had to make up with my hustling and with my continuous uh, uh, effort. So you fail multiple times and you keep going back multiple times at the same problem and you solve it by experiencing that problem. I think that has also taken a lot longer to me uh, in building these organizations than I would have ideally taken. Uh, So that is a little bit of a regret, I would say. But yes, uh, uh, I I enjoyed the learning on the way. And somewhere it gave me a thinking process, which is very powerful and which keeps me going is that the journey is far more important than the destination. And I, and I enjoy the journey.
0: Well, that is beautiful. In the end of the day, do you believe it's actually possible to have got to where you got to without the mistakes?
1: Uh, No, uh, possibly not. And uh, you know, again, uh, if you, if you are working with someone who knows how not to make those mistakes, it it might be possible, uh, but if you don't have any of that knowledge near around you, I don't think it is possible to uh, kind of navigate and get here.
0: I can I can see the families involved. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're making some noise
1: outside. No, yeah. of course. Well, that's that's
0: our that's our lives working at home. Yeah. So, uh, one of the things that I wanted to get into, amongst other things, it's is just this notion of purpose, and. Mm-hmm. Um, In France, they put a law about 12 months ago that says that you must have a purpose for your company. Mm -hmm. In the United States, the CEO circle essentially said that the purpose of a company is no longer just to fasten the shareholders, but needs to include all the stakeholders. I was wondering, what is your take on purpose and how is INT driving purpose?
1: Uh, The the fundamental principle on which INT's purpose is uh, based upon is basically uh, a growth through knowledge, because one thing is very clear, we are in knowledge economy, and this means that everyone needs to contribute knowledge to build the uh, knowledge capital of the organization, which in exchange can um, earn revenue from the customer as well. So I think uh, gaining knowledge and then sharing that knowledge with with everyone is very, very key for us, and we believe in it very, very strongly. And we kind of taken a purpose, which means uh, which says that, you know, we are an organization which will like to educate customers, which will like to give them no bullshit advice, and would like to make sure that uh, they they gain at the end of the day that <clears throat> that yield in their success. And the same purpose has been extended on, um, you know, um, when we look at uh, serving the society as well. So the moment we look at serving the society, we created a Indusnet foundation which basically educates uh, uh, kids in school in the rural part of uh, West Bengal in the state we live in. And the idea there is to basically take English comprehension skills to them so that they can self-learn. So when we talk about knowledge again, one is for us to spread knowledge and the second is to ensure that people who are linked with us, they have the ability and enthusiasm to continuously learn as well. So somewhere learning is very core to our purpose as a business.
0: So one of the things that's interesting about purpose is that sometimes some companies will write their purpose on the front of their lobby and, and it's in their annual reports but a lot of employees roll their eyes and say, Bong, mm. you know, not invented here or not done here. I was wondering to what extent this notion of knowledge sharing and purpose is embedded in your recruitment and and how you build up your company and and get new people and keep new you know keep your employees motivated.
1: Yeah. So again uh, the uh, the idea of this purpose again as i said it is not very explicitly defined inside the company though we have it at the back of our mind and i mm. think uh, I, I personally feel that is much better that you have it somewhere in the back of your mind and you continuously live it every day mm. rather than you keep shouting it and putting it on the top of your website. Uh, so a few things that we do to live this purpose, as I said, first is we run Indusnet Foundation. Uh, second is that we have a very consultative approach towards our customers where we give them all possible understanding of how that particular problem should be solved. And at times we actually turn away customer because they understand that the prop, the solution that they are seeking is not the right solution. And this means that they should not do the project or they should not maybe choosing us for the project. I mean, and that has happened several times. And we have always prepared our team to, for, and told them that you should say no, when it is not going to be useful for him because at the end of the day, if the customer is not successful, nothing's going to work. And uh, internally again, you know, uh, indirectly for people to realize that um, this is the purpose. Uh, what we have done is that uh, there is an unlimited education uh, 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 grants within the company. This means a person can do as much online courses as he wants to do. Uh, whatever learning he wants to do, he can do it and we pay for it.
0: So what I hear from you is that you do have a purpose, but you'd rather do it than say it. That's right. Well, I think that's a, a lovely lesson learned, if you will. I I wonder how your employees would describe, Abhishek, your leadership style.
1: I think uh, they will uh, definitely consider me as a tough taskmaster uh, who, who looks at taking a uh, difficult decisions which are useful in long-term. So a long-term player, someone who believes in uh, uh, what we say is the infinite game, uh, as Simon Sinek says. So that is how I think uh, my team will define me.
0: It's true this notion of short-term versus long-term tends to be corrosive if you're really focused on the short-term. And and it it is hard to be customer-centric, employee-centric, if you are constantly on the short-term. When you think of that, therefore, to what extent is the governance of your your company helping you to keep the long-term as your focus?
1: So long-term, again, you know, when, I think that when you're trying to build for long-term, uh, you also got to be a little conservative in uh, the overall approach. Uh, you cannot just be, uh, taking those decisions, which looks beautiful and good today, and which gives you a lot of upload, uh, but which cannot keep the company alive in the long term. So I think the moment you think about long term, the first thing you have to think about is keeping the company alive in long term. And this means you have to build a sustainable business. So we have always focused on building extremely sustainable business. This means keeping a very keen eye on the bottom line. We don't need it to be very high, but we, need to, we also need to make sure that it doesn't go too low. Uh, So we have always uh, done that. We have also imbibed the culture of, uh, uh, you know, um, commercial uh, awareness within our team. This means that each and every individual inside the company knows that the work they are doing and how it is commercially linked to the commercials of the company. So none of them is like doing it blindly, right? Everybody knows that how much company makes out of the work that they are doing. And we don't want to hide that. We have always kept it open so that they also know that if they do it wrong, what is the amount that the company loses at the end of the day? And they also should know that what are they contributing to the organization? Mm. Because I think as an organization, it is a collective effort of lots of people. And until unless all these people are aligned, you cannot build a sustainable business. Because in that case, you know, you are trying to just keep everyone, uh, you know, you are not talking about the a core objective of bottom line. You are always trying to explain a person, an activity and, but not the end of objective of that activity. If the end objective of the activity is customer satisfaction a customer success and the uh, and profitability right i think you have to just say that in very specific lines and you have to give them all the control and uh, data point so that they really know firsthand about it so if a customer is not happy right we would uh, and if there is a email that comes to us we will forward him directly that email and say no this is the problem and how can we fix it and we also encourage our customers to first give a direct feedback to the person whom they are dealing with, Mm. right? And if it is not resolved, then of course they can come and talk Mm. to someone else. But this helps a lot because people know that a company is extremely customer focused. So if there is a customer complaint, right, that doesn't go very good for their career. So they themselves start fixing it. So I think uh, uh, instead of very complex processes and systems, you know, which we at one point of time, we felt that we should define those uh, company manual and processes and uh, whatnot, we started doing it. But we never end up kind of implementing it because we found it's too complex, right? Do you really expect a person to read a manual when he comes to your company, or read a manual or a chapter from the manual to understand how he should behave in a given situation,
2: or, or, or even
0: or even believe what's in the manual? Because I mean, so much yeah. time, it's a lot of cotton wool. Absolutely. So I mean, you were talking about purpose. So if I write it, everything in the pur- that the purpose of the company
1: is to disseminate knowledge, uh, you know, people may have a very different understanding of that. They may say, "Oh, it means that the company is not IT company; the company is education company," and it's very difficult to explain people that way. So, I think uh, when we, as a leader, it's our job to translate the purpose, translate the mission, or uh, translate our uh, our philosophy into simple actionables and uh, and empower people uh, on the front line uh, with very simple instructions that they can follow and they can uh, help build the company the way it should be.
0: Something that I what we do. that's beautiful. Mm-hmm something i i talk about in my new book is this notion of governance and the importance of who owns you because yeah. as a private company you can say i'm happy with five percent bottom line that's going to kick out a certain amount to your hundred percent owner and that gives you the lifestyle you're looking for let's say mm-hmm. the public shareholders might say well no no, no. i want <coughs> six tomorrow seven and so on and so forth and keep that pressure going So there are two questions. One is, what is your view on going public? And Mm -hmm. two, on transmission? Because on the one hand, there's the public ownership. And the other one is, you're the founder, you're the blood, you're a young man. And at one point, someone's got to take over. And and when Mm -hmm. you are the founder owner, you can take certain risks. But when the new guy or woman comes up, who's the new ceo great talent nosy business but doesn't have the same skin in the game as you so talk us through those two points so when it comes to um, getting the company public i think it's a very big decision
1: so um, at one point of time i did, did think that it's a very simple thing you know you talk to an investment banker a merchant banker uh, he guides you through the process and takes the company public but the more I dived into it, uh, I found that you need to actually uh, have a lot of responsibility. It's a big responsibility. And frankly speaking, it's not exiting the business. It's actually entering the business mm. because you are now entering the business with lots of uh, other people's money. And now your responsibility and your obligation goes, multiplies, multifold. Uh, second is that uh, the moment you go public, I think that your uh, the control that you have on the decisions that you take, uh can reduce to a great extent uh, especially because if people don't like, understand the decisions that you are taking and in in a business as dynamic as digital and in the environment as dynamic as uh, 2020 right the decisions can be very very drastic at times and uh, it is very difficult to explain in detail uh, so i i decided kind of that you know i do i'm not ready for the responsibility of that level of explanation uh to analysts uh to different stakeholders uh, and i decided to keep my company private uh, though uh, going public would have given a lot more, uh, I would say, fame and uh, uh, as well as wealth, but I decided to keep the company private and I'm happy about it. Uh, the day I feel that I am uh, mentally matured and, uh, uh, and interested in uh, being so accountable in terms of explaining other people the rationale behind my actions on each and every uh, step, uh, I will definitely take it public.
0: Bezos has done a great job of transitioning from his own company to a minority, albeit still the major shareholder of Amazon. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he seems to have done a remarkable job of curtailing expectations of that sort of that shareholder group that you're talking about. But he seems to be the exception to the rule. How would you, how would you go about... Uh, keeping the shareholders on your side with these long-term cockamamie ideas. I want my short-term profits. You know, wait a second, Abhishek. You know, da 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 on the long-term story. You know, your performance hasn't been good over the last few months.
1: Yeah, I understand. So again, uh, this is exactly what I want to avoid because uh, uh, in a in a highly dynamic environment, when I am looking at long-term, it may not go very well with everyone, uh, especially uh, shareholders as well as analysts. And uh, and this means that I have to spend a lot of time in convincing everyone about this whole thing. And uh, besides that, I have also a job of running the company as the kind of head of operations. So I find that these two jobs at the same time is too much uh, to ensure that I am able to deliver the best to both the sites. And that's why I decided to keep the company private. But yes, I have started bringing a lot of transparency in the company. So there are a lot of things that we continue to declare in public. We continue to disclose on our website. So this helps us kind of getting to a point where, you know, uh, if we need to go public, we will not have much difficulty. So the issue is not transparency. I'm more than happy with transparency. I have more problems in terms of when you have to explain each and every decision which you are taking for long term. And when there is a big uproar for short term benefits, which the share market teaches us every day that every shareholder basically looks at most of them looks at short term profits.
0: Going to my second question, which was about transmission moving from Abhishek, CEO and founder, to mm-hmm. the okay. next person who's going to take over. Maybe you move to chairman and someone else does the <laughs> daily operations. But how yeah. how do you, I mean, you're obviously young and you still got plenty of years ahead of you. Is this something you're already looking at? And if so, how are you going to go about it? So uh, I have a couple of theories of mine, uh,
1: which uh, I'm keeping in my, uh, you know, as my cards, which I can play when the time comes. So first of all i have built uh, several enterprises and i have done some acquisitions uh, with different stakeholders who are my partners and i really enjoy working with them they are some of the most amazing people in fact uh, i would say uh, most of them are more talented than i am Uh, i think uh, at the right time uh, and and that makes us a company of multiple entrepreneurs actually rather than just me as a single entrepreneur and it was very important for me because i come as a single founder and uh, Entrepreneurship is a very lonely journey and when when you can get such partners come along with you, uh, you strengthen the organization and you also can create a succession planning uh, in the organization for long term. And that is, I think, what I have tried to do. Uh, So yes, that is one of the areas that I will look up to where I have got my partners in different ventures, uh, one of whom can come and uh, run the group organization uh, and kind of give it a better direction in, in years to come. Uh, second, of course, is uh, bringing in more professional management uh, when I am tired of running the business. And which is at least not happening for next 10 years. But yes, when I'm tired of running the business, I think there are amazing professionals and uh, whom you can bring in and they can run the business. Uh, and you need to reward them well. You need to make them uh, part of the family. And that is one thing that I have to, uh, I have I've have already done in some way, but I think I have to learn a lot more about doing that.
0: Well, I've had this conversation with, entrepreneurs who are double your age, and they haven't expressed a more clear vision than you just did. So it's clearly a a challenging zone. And of course, when you're young, it's really not something you think about, like when you're an 18 year old, you don't think about death yet. Um, (laughs) Something that has really hit me like a ice pick in the forehead, to use a Frank Zappa quote, is the the number of Indians running large International organizations. I would like to name Satya Nadella at Microsoft, Indra Nui, who was the CEO of Pepsi, Shantanu Nayarayan, who is, the C- who is the CEO of Adobe, Rakesh Kapoor, Rekit Benkheiser. There are so many, and I'm just wondering I mean, it feels like there are so many. I'm wondering if you think that there's a, an Indian philosophy to management. I mean, you're such a large country, you know. There are a million different ways, but is there is there some sort of connection between the the way India is as a culture? I mean, with all the different cultures—Bengali, you know, Rajasthani, <coughs> okay. whatever—to to the style of management that you are putting in place?
1: Well, I think uh, you know, one thing that Indian culture uh, uh, do teach us in a way. Uh, directly or indirectly, is leading from behind, which again comes very difficult in uh, uh, in great leaders because uh, uh, in India, you know, you have, as you rightly said, there are multiple cultures, there are multiple thought processes. And if you have to do anything uh, worthwhile, you have to take these people together and you have to keep them together as a flock and you have to achieve the goal. So anyone who is doing this, uh, he gathers a lot of, um, <clears throat> I would say, emotional quotient, uh, which allows them to handle such situations which comes up. And second is I think uh, as Indians, uh, uh, you know, uh, we are uh, born curious, a uh, lot of us are born curious, we love to read and understand and, uh, and see a bright future. Uh, so I think these are two things which I feel uh, might be the reason of uh, exceptional success of uh, Indians globally.
2: Hmm.
0: In my new book, I, I, um, I talk about five different mindsets of what I believe are the great leaders of tomorrow. And the fifth one is the probably the one that's most controversial, but might mm-hmm. resonate with you. Uh, and I call it being karmic. So mm-hmm. there's this notion of karmic capitalism, karmic leadership. Do you believe that the, what what is your view on on karma per se within a leadership role? I mean, I don't know how to define karma in your uh, in your context,
1: but karma is basically, uh, doing your work and doing it right. Uh, I mean, at the best of your knowledge. And uh, in Indian philosophy, karma is dharma as well. This means that uh, it's the religion. The religion and work are not separated things. <coughs> so I think uh, uh, for me, uh, you know, uh, doing the work and not uh, really waiting for the result is very key. So keep experimenting, keep working, and not really uh, depend your uh, entire cycle, your thinking process uh, uh, on, on the outcome of that. So, you know, uh, keep doing your work uh, irrespective of the outcome. I think this is a very strong uh, message that uh, uh, the Hindu philosophy has in India. And uh, somehow it has uh, permeated most of the people uh, irrespective of their religious belief. Uh, and I think that works great because, you know, uh, that allows you to do work without having that level of attachment with the
0: outcome. Well, this is exactly the the line that I'm taking in my book. And I, and I just try, I start making the connection. Because, of course, karma is very much an Indian philosophy, and it just makes sense. And I'm wondering, I, you know, if I had Satya on the phone or, or Indra, would she say, yeah, yeah, of course, karma is the way it go and in the way that you explain it? In your 23 years as a CEO and founder, what would you say you mentioned you made a few mistakes? What would you like to offer us as the biggest goof and lesson learned that you've had?
1: Uh, the biggest lesson learned is uh, not moving forward at times. So a lot of times, you know, uh, your your company grows uh, from uh, point A to point B, but your mindset doesn't grow, right? Uh, and this, is a, this can be a disaster for the business. So if your mindset doesn't grow that how you position your company when it grows uh, from point A to point B, where of course point B is much better than point A, uh, then you actually start losing the plot. Because your company's overall expenses, your company's culture has all started adopting to uh, the higher ground, but you are still, as a, as an entrepreneur, as a as a leader, you are still playing at a lower ground. And if that happens, that can be uh, very very difficult to manage. Hmm. And uh, there was a second thing. Again, I would like to add here, uh, mentor, is sure. that uh, uh, you know uh, companies are um, companies are reflection of their founders to a great extent, and the founders bring in the culture inside the company. Uh, And at times, you know, uh, if the founder doesn't enforce the culture that he brings in, or he doesn't preach the culture that he brings in, uh, the company takes a culture of its own, which is a mix of lots of different cultures from different people who come from different organizations. And if you let that happen, that can actually kill the organization. So at one point of time, we got to a point where we were almost dead because of this, where we were not enforcing the culture, we were not really uh, kind of preaching the culture, explaining why we believe in certain things and what we believe in. And that was, uh, and I can still remember uh, my own company was, has become an organization where I was not feeling like sitting and working. So uh, you can get to a point like that. And I think it's very important to ensure that you don't let that happen. Uh, So you have to make sure that whatever you believe in, right, uh, you should be able to explain it very clearly. And you should be able to ensure that that culture is withheld and upheld inside the
0: organization at all times. That's a wonderful insight. Because sometimes you just sort of keep on going along because you're expecting it. You you say it, they should do it, but you're not attentive to the how, back to your karmic point, because the how is actually the culture at some level, the, the behavior, yes. is the language. That's the the journey process. And then the result comes as a benefit of the right how and the right journey, if you will. That's right. I wanted to ask you about social media, obviously hot in the news for all sorts of political reasons, but what is your position on social media as a CEO? How how do you think of social media? I think uh, social media, uh,
1: uh, it started with all the good intentions. Uh, It's a great tool. It connects people. It connected us. It connected me with lots of people. I have made amazing friends. Uh, I have met people on social media and then met them offline and uh, vice versa. And, And I think it has also changed my life to a great extent. I got connected with all my school friends. I got. Uh, I'm still in touch with all my college friends. Though I was not at all social in my school or college life. Uh, however, uh, in today's world, the more uh, the news is being injected, the injection of news into social media has been, I think, the influx point of uh, moving it towards a disastrous uh, path. And because the news are is generally uh, always having a, uh, you know, uh, news is always, uh, I would say, it's funded or unfortunately the news uh, times are not uh, 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 aligned uh, in a neutral way and uh, then it creates a lot of division and uh, and i think we have read it all that what's happening with facebook uh, where the news feed has created a lot of uh, problem and then uh, this crazy uh, desire to control human behavior at a con- on a continuous basis uh, by making uh, you know uh, a, a dopamine uh, rush on a continuous basis, uh, by the large uh, corporates, I think this is kind of killing uh, the overall audience.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: so I think social media, without uh, without saying that someone is at uh, someone is at, uh, uh, is, has resulted in a major problem. I think it has definitely hurt the society. And now, right now, it's a it's a negative element in the society
0: and as of today. Right. So social media has had benefits on a personal level for you to stay connected with your friends. It was interesting. And then all of a sudden this injection of toxic news, what about your idea of your presence in social media? To what extent do you believe it's useful, important, dangerous to have your own presence on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, whatever?
1: I think it is very important. So initially, you know, uh, in the early days when I got uh, hooked on to social media, the purpose was to kind of talk to myself. Because as entrepreneurs, as I said, you know, we are generally alone and we have lots of thoughts which comes in our mind. And how do you talk to yourself? So instead of talking to yourself, I think you actually talk on the social media and that's a great approach. And I used to blog a lot. And then I went on to Twitter and I went on to Facebook. So I think that was the initial purpose. Uh, The second phase of my social media career was more about... uh, uh, thought leadership. So how do I position myself as a separate individual, as a uh, as a unique individual uh, among this huge crowd of people, you know, with my original thoughts, with my thoughts about the industries I work in, uh, about the kind of work we do, about the kind of uh, ideas I have. And that worked to a great extent, that kind of give me a differentiating uh, advantage compared to my competition. The third phase where I am right now is more about how can I package my knowledge and ensure that the knowledge lives beyond me
0: hmm, the legacy
1: and and yeah and the legacy so i think but again i will not depend purely on social media for that and that is why i will uh, continue to put it on my own blogs also so i am trying also trying to kind of bring in all my content and uh, you know kind of uh, center it around my blog personal blog so that i am not in control of any particular uh, social media platform because uh, uh, some of these social media platforms won't be around uh, 10 years from now
0: what extent is your presence in social media reflected within the company? In other words, do you have, you know, you know, as you get bigger, I mean, I have some stories from my past where the the CEO say, well, you know, send it to all the employees. They'll be really interested in it, except it wasn't interesting at all. (laughs) To what extent? is your presence online reflected in the communications with your 580 odd um, employees
1: it was useful because a lot of people uh, uh, understood that you know uh, now my ceo is reachable because the big challenge in india is that india is a very hierarchical society in terms mm. of when it comes to business and a lot of times people feel that they cannot talk to their uh, their ceo is unapproachable he is out of my range and I think social media got me into their range, which has helped me a lot. And I am more of a people's person. I like to work at the grassroots level in my team uh, because I think the future leaders can be created from the grassroots level. Obviously there are people who are already at leadership level and uh, medium level and the higher level. Uh, you, uh, you empower them, you let them perform well, you let them grow. But I think new leaders can only be created at the grassroots level. So I love to work at that level, uh, identify talent, work with them and build them into uh, future leaders of the organization.
0: I absolutely adore that response. Last question for you. Time is what it is. Um, <laughs> we're in this particular period, twenty twenty. We've had an invisible enemy. How are how are you dealing with this pandemic period? And specifically, what have you put in place to help with your employees uh, manage through it? Because you know, remote work. Social, well, there's health issues, there's mental health issues. How have you been approaching all that?
1: So, uh, the first of all, uh, the moment we saw that uh, uh, this pandemic is hitting Kolkata uh, as it started coming closer to us, uh, we shut down our offices and we let everyone start working from home. It was a totally new experience for us. We had no idea how to manage it, but we took that. Uh, You know, we took that chance and we let everyone go back home and start working from there. Uh, For the first month, I was absolutely out of control. I had no clue how to run this business purely from home. Uh, And I felt out of control. Uh, And then I realized that I was never in control. Because uh, I think uh, it's not about about having those people in front of you. It's more about having the right kind of data reaching at the right time. Uh, You having the right pulse meeting with your team and you are able to clearly communicate the goals every week and see what has been achieved in the last week so until unless you get to that point you are never in control and uh, second is that you know how do you get the right metrics in the company and how to ensure that everybody understands and follows that metrics and you measure and take decisions based on those metrics Uh, that was also missing to a great extent again it was there uh, it was very ad hoc and since it was ad hoc the moment we went to work from home uh I, I felt totally out of control as if uh, nothing is nothing is uh, within my
2: uh, realm
1: of uh, you know control at all uh, so i started putting this together and it was uh, not an easy job because uh, for this i had to come out of my comfort zone i'm definitely not a great manager i can be a, a creative person i can be creative entrepreneur but i'm not necessarily a very highly routinized manager who does things by clockwork and you know uh, does those meetings every week exactly at the same time every week and kind of ask the right questions, the same questions and collect data. So I'm not, not that kind of a person so far. I had to adapt to that uh, uh, lifestyle. Uh, initially, I found it very difficult, but eventually I understood and I also made, uh, I also brought in creativity in that process by changing my uh, questions, by changing my uh, review meetings every week to uh, discover new things about the organization. Uh, we discovered lots of uh, flaws inside the organization which we also started fixing. Uh, yes. Uh, what we did with the employees was that we made sure that everybody is covered with an extra layer of COVID insurance on top of what they were having. Uh, we ensured that we are communicating every time with them. We had a lot of mass communication going out to the employees. Uh, we also, when we looked at the gifting, uh, you know, we uh, then we made sure that none of the major events are missed in the organization. So, in fact, we were not having a a town hall with all the employees for quite some time. So, we initiated the town hall to show them that, you know, uh, while we are away, uh, while we are working from home, actually, we can do much more than what we were doing when we were working in an office. And uh, we can all come together in a much more powerful way. So, we started doing regular town halls. So, every month, uh, every two months, we started doing town halls and people appreciated that. And you know, the, the most interesting thing that happened is in a town hall, people don't want to ask tough questions because they can be identified in zoom. You have a feature where people can ask anonymous questions. So my town halls got flooded with anonymous questions, which were really difficult questions. And I really enjoyed answering them because I think uh, if you answer those difficult questions, uh, you are, uh, you are really playing with the straight back. And you are making the other person very comfortable that this company is not hiding anything and which is the fact. And we don't want to hide anything, and uh, and they got their answers and with their detailed reasoning. Right? So we gave reason for every answer, we explained every answer, and we gave it to them. So these are good things that started happening. So starting from losing the entire control to uh, you know to moving towards building a great community and uh, ensuring that people are engaged and they are enjoying the whole work uh, is what we achieved uh, ultimately. So today, I think uh, as a company, we will not necessarily go 100% work from office. We will be adopting what we call work from anywhere. So you can work from home if you feel comfortable, you can work from office if you feel comfortable, you can go to a cafe and work from there. If there is a fire, if there's an urgency, you may be asked to come to office and that's your obligation. But apart from that, you can work and deliver from anywhere.
0: I adore your journey and, and thank you for being honest about the struggles that first month. Because not everybody has that kind of transparency as well, and I think that that's what's useful and it's really endearing when you admit, you know, that you didn't know everything, and and that's part of that losing control. It was a conversation I had with a nuclear command, a nuclear submarine commander, who came up with the same realization within one day uh, when he realized mm-hmm. that uh, an order that he had given, uh, which goes through a chain of command. So the captain says, well, I want to go into second gear reverse. Second gear reverse, second gear reverse. And it goes down the order and everyone can hear it throughout the submarine with 160 men. And then when it got down to the engineer who's in the gear room, there is no second gear. (laughs) So what that meant was that the entire organization had seen that the commander doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. And at that moment, he went from total control to lack of control and, and needing to ask different questions and look for different answers. So a very similar journey at some level. His was a, yeah. a one day a one day enlightenment <laughs> story. Um, absolutely wonderful. I really, I really enjoyed uh, your chat. I um, wish you great continued success. I look forward to seeing your journey as we come out of the pandemic and how that transitions <laughs> into your work from everywhere. How can somebody get in touch with you follow what you read because obviously you're a very uh, high profile uh, followed person on linkedin what would be your preferred way and anyway give us uh, give us your um, sell yourself <laughs> <laughs> so i am
1: on linkedin and uh, oh, and i'm also on twitter so my full name is my twitter handle and similarly on linkedin my full name is my linkedin handle as well so feel free to connect with me there uh, and more than happy to brainstorm
0: Have a chat and make new friends. Super. Abhishek, Rang, Runta, I'll put all those into the show notes. Super fun having you on the show. Thanks for taking the time. Have a great day.
1: Thank you so much for having me on your show. It was an absolute pleasure.
0: Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, Here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
2: Send me lying. lines.